and welcome once again to another episode of the Horizon Roundtable. Another episode, man. We're we're getting close to the end, but man, things keep coming up. Uh, I'm Bob McDonald. I can be reached on Twitter at Bob McDonald, and you can find me at CampusPressBox.com. With me, as always, with a lot to say, I wouldn't doubt Jimmy Lemke. Yeah, uh, a lot to say would be um, understatement of the universe at this juncture. <laughs> if you if you're a fan of me just going off on people, this is an episode for you. Yes, we got a couple of people to deal with on that one. Uh, Jimmy's at PantherU on Twitter and PantherU.com. So, lots to get to. And uh, we are at... Uh, You'll be able to find me at, uh, at PantherU on Twitter. One person who won't be able to find me at PantherU on Twitter would be Bob Grant, athletic director at Wright State, who blocked me as well as a lot of other people in the last couple of days on Twitter. Because yeah, and I'm sure at the end of this episode, he'll be blocking me too. What is it? Who is this guy? Get him out of here. Uh, yeah. But did we ever determine if he uh, he had blocked Dan Dakich and uh, Paul Biancardi yet? Uh, I don't know, but he has, he has blocked Terry Bogan. Now, yeah, he's- I get, now, I'm kind of mad about that one because we're talking um, Terry Bogan, who's uh, – you can find him on Twitter at RoadTrip45. His handle yeah. on the message boards for decades and for a couple of decades now has been Road Trip. Um, the guy is one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet, and he got blocked. Yeah, what the hell is that all about? Bob Grant, Bob Grant is. I, I mean, it was a decade or Biancardi. Somebody, somebody had brought out the quote. You know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Um, obviously, Billy Donlin, he of winning 20-plus games in almost every year he's been coach at Wright State, um, been to the conference title game three of the last four years, is it? Three of the last four like years? I want to say 13, 14, and 16 in the, at the Horizon League Championship game. Um, he's just – this is not a guy who you would fire um, – and then and he's he's young. It is his sixth year, but he has been building. Um, he had a a little bit above average record, but also the 2014-15 season, he had just a ton of injuries that he had to deal with. Yeah. So it's a little confusing uh, why it would happen. You from what from what all the all the national people are saying, as far as we've mentioned, Dakich and Biancardi. Sounds like this was personal, and I'm sorry, but when you when you make things personal, then you're you're screwing over a whole lot of people. And Bob Grant, you know, fires fires Billy Donlin, which you you have to replace him with somebody who's going to be winning 24 plus games every single year, because Billy Donlin was a guy who was winning between you know 19 and 22 or 23. Mm-hmm. Um, in most years. So how are, how do you, you know, you have some room to get better, certainly, and Billy Dallin might have been the guy to do But you also have a lot of room to go the other way. Yep. And there was a reason that Biancardi ended up getting, you know, getting jettisoned out of there. It was because Wright State was um, so much of a an easy 
uh, they weren't so much of a hard out in the Horizon League when I got in here in 05. So, um, Ian Cardi had some other issues related to his, uh, uh, actually had some sanctioning issues related to his time at beforehand as a, uh, assistant coach at Ohio state too. So keep that in mind too. On O'Brien's staff at Ohio state. Yeah. Oh yes. He was, a, he was on that staff that, that had to vacate their, uh, that actually had to vacate their, um, I think their, I think it was uh, one of their one of their tournament runs, um, and he got busted with that uh, right along with that. That's yeah, that's okay. exactly what happened. <laughs> Either way, so, they went they went to Brad Brownell, took them to be, to their only NCAA tournament in Division One, which is Bob interesting Br- because Brad Brown Brad Brownell himself was ousted at Wilmington by an AD who obviously had no idea what he was doing. It's, the irony, the irony of of picking up a guy like Brad Brownell based upon something the, the 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 thought process of an AD, and then losing Billy Donlin in the same same basic fashion, really, um, at the same school, even that's that's kind of odd to me, at least. Um, makes you wonder what's going on over there. Also, um, you can pretty much tell today is going to the overriding theme is of this particular episode of the podcast is going to be, uh, you know, not just the right state thing, but Jimmy, we we talked about this last episode, and I we I really thought we were going to have another year to discuss this, but you're got uh, but uh, Milwaukee Rob Jeter he's gone. You can say your guy because Rob Jeter is my guy. I know. Um, I'm trying to be impartial. Damn it! I am a Rob Jeter guy through, and there is no there. There's there's nothing that I. And there's some background that that needs to be you know put out there. Um, Rob Jeter was came in following Bruce Pearl, who is a very difficult act to follow. Not in that not not as much the success, although Bruce Pearl did take us to the Sweet Sixteen and you know all the heights of that. It's not that as much as um, as much as it was the personality. Bruce Pearl was very much a you know this. He had this wonderful uh, used car salesman, just kind of outgoing personality. Everybody loved Bruce Pearl, so. Yep. Whoever was going to follow Bruce Pearl was going to have a difficult job. And Rob took that job and Rob had only been an assistant before. And he was a great recruiter, but he had only been an assistant. He hadn't been a head coach himself. So Mm -hmm. he, he hadn't been able to direct a program. And after the first, his first year, when all of the, the last of the Bo Ryan and Bruce Pearl recruits, had filed out as seniors and went after their second round appearance in 2006. Mm-hmm. Rob was ba- basically had to start with a bear cupboard. There were there were a sure. couple that were on the 0607 team that had some impact on the 0506 team. Avery Smith was chief chief among them, but really, Rob was starting from scratch. Mm-hmm. And the 0607 season was really about starting with he just didn't have talent and then 0708 he learned some other 
problems. Yeah, he he learned other things about being a head coach and sure. running a program. Uh, he had taken a flyer on a kid named Tory Johnson, who's from Milwaukee, went to Juno High School, that has since closed. He he played at Oklahoma State, and then got run out of there when he had gotten a DUI, and. We Rob had decided to take a flyer on him that he was a good he was a good kid that just made some mistakes. Brought him in uh, late in the fall semester. Tori had been at a house party, got drunk, punched his girlfriend or hit his girlfriend. I can't remember if he slapped her or what. He did something with his girlfriend and then basically being drunk and stupid, ran and hid in a closet somewhere and the cops found him. Rob kicked him off the team the next morning. Uh, another couple players from that team, Tim Flowers and Kevin Johnson, were two guys from Derrick Rose's entourage that played with him at Simeon, uh, Chicago Simeon, and they uh, basically thought that when you're part of Derrick Rose's entourage, it doesn't matter where you go, you get the the star treatment. Uh, they didn't they didn't go to class or anything like that. So those guys, uh, you know, Rob learned some valuable lessons. With those guys, and then he had a bunch of pile of injuries. They finished like 14 and 16 that year, but it was really because um, it was really because they had injuries and a lot of like character issues. And Rob mm-hmm. learned from that experience the kind of character player he wanted to bring into his program. And since then, I can probably count on one hand the amount of players that have been difficult for us. And there was really only one player who I would, I would define as a clubhouse cancer since that season. And if you look at Rob Jeter's year to year record, you saw that the team would get better and better. They went from nine to 14 to 17 wins. And then in almost every year after that, they were at 19, 20 or 21 wins apart from 2012, 13 when the the team was in the Klotchy Center, when Andy Andy Geiger from who had been Ohio State AD made the absolute joke of a decision to bring the team back to the Klotchy Center, um, the team was totally demoralized, and they they they, they, they that was the eight and twenty four season, and then in fourteen and fifteen when they had nothing to play for because the of the APR ban. So these so apart from those two seasons, Rob has been like a 19 and 13 or 20 and you know, 19 and 14, 20 and 13, you know, th- that has been like Rob's record since like 0809. And one thing that you should also know from 0809 was that that was the last season where Bud Haiti was the athletic director of the university. The AD spot was held by Bud Haiti since 1988. And he had made the decision to move the team to Division One, and he was the guy that did that for the 90-91 season was our first year in Division One, uh, Or, excuse me, back in Division One. And Bud Haiti made that decision because this is a very large school. We have a Big Ten size enrollment. Uh, we, we, there, there is a void. Uh, there, the city was big enough to support a couple teams. And, and you know, the, the mid-2000s proved that. And so it was, it was, it was Bud's decision, and Bud was our AD for 20 years after he had been the, the ticket office manager at the University of Miami in Ohio. Now, 
Bud retired in 2009 and was replaced by a former Green Bay Packer by the name of George Koontz. George Koontz was, uh, and I have I have very intimate knowledge of you know the, the Koontz hire and Koontz's tenure because I number one I was the I was on the search and screen committee that hired or that, that recommended the hiring of George Koontz to then Chancellor Carlos Santiago. And I also was the sports editor of the UWM Post, so I was in that office talking to everybody like almost every day. Now, um, George Koontz was um, in way over his head, and he he had been, he was an associate athletic director at Marquette. He was really there. He was working on his doctorate at the time, but he was really there for. Uh, we we really thought that what Koontz could do was come in and open doors to us in the state of Wisconsin that we never would have been able to get in before, simply because this guy was one of the captains of the defense along with Reggie White on our 96 Super Bowl team. And in the state of Wisconsin, the Packers are a religion. I'm not kidding you. At Catholic Mass lets out 15 minutes early during the Packer season so nobody misses kickoff. This is so so obviously this is a guy that we we looked at as he could open a lot of doors because he's because he's George Koontz Green Bay Packer and he could also you know he could he could fundraise and get a you know build us something and then move up we we had we had expected that we when we recommended him that we would that he would be he would get hired become the you know raise a bunch of money and you know build us you know an arena the arena was what we really wanted at the time. Since then, um, since then, I have uh, about a year after that, or two years after that, I had f- uh, honed that into we don't need a, a basketball arena as much as we need a practice facility for the basketball team, um, which we've talked about before. But George Coons, um, when when we recommended him to Carlos Santiago, we recommended him over a few people. Uh, Vince Sweeney was associate AD at Madison. He was my first choice, but I was talked out of it by somebody. I was talked into Koontz by somebody else who was on the search and screen committee. Um, it was over him, over, over Vince Sweeney, over Monty Porter, who was an associate or assistant AD at Western Michigan, who didn't really impress much of anybody. And then associate AD at Stony Brook was Paul Schlickman, who ended up uh, not long after becoming the AD at Central Connecticut State. And so, so we we recommended to George to, to Santiago that he hired George Koontz, but we also recommended because we knew that Koontz was very much more of like a figurehead. I it, it, coming into this, the the idea was that we could get by by bringing in Koontz. Uh, we could get open those doors, but we needed somebody who could replace Bud Haiti's administrative ability. Bud Haiti, in the in the last two years of his job, uh, ran the budget and did the finance for the athletic department. Which you really don't want your AD doing that. You want to have an associate AD of finance doing the job, or a deputy AD, or somebody. And um, in 2007. Chuck Lang, the finance associate AD, had left us for San Diego State. So we recommended to Santiago, you need, you should hire George Koontz, but you should also hire a strong associate AD 
who can run the books and be the main administrator so that George Kuntz can really just be a figurehead that goes around and raises money by talking to people. Now, the problem... So bottom line, clearly that didn't happen. <laughs> yes, that didn't happen for about... You know, Kuntz started, and it wasn't until... Um, it wasn't until I want to say March or April of the following year when Char- that, that Charlie Gross had been brought in to take it, to start. And by the time Charlie Gross had started, George Kuntz had totally screwed up everything. Now, oh, nice. he, didn't, he didn't screw it up on purpose. Um, he had some personal issues. Uh, his wife, Tunisia, had died of breast cancer in, I believe it was October um, of that year. So he, George just didn't have a very good year. In fact, it was probably the worst year of the guy's life, and I, f- I feel for him because he was a very nice guy. Um, but George Kuntz also uh, wanted to get a, his own basketball coach. And one thing that everybody should know is that every athletic director wants their own guy running the number one program at the school. So you know, the next the next AD at Ohio State is – would probably wouldn't be sad about Urban Meyer going to the NFL because they'd get to bring in their own football coach. Um, you know, the next AD at Marquette wouldn't be sad if Steve Wojciechowski left because you know to the Duke job because then they could bring in their own guy. A- ADs always want that. So the keep in with, mind the problem with Mil- Milwaukee though is that you know, there's been kind of a little bit of a churn over there in the AD department uh, yeah, that, right. that picking you know, and, and Rob Jeter is kind of you know rolled with the punches through all of them up until this very point in time with a man right. LeBron. Right. Well, I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to get to that because uh, that right now I. I it's 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 a little bit of a story. Um, I am about halfway through it, so or a little past okay. halfway through it. So it's not. I, I just you have to get the background to understand why the basketball program has been on the precipice of being a good team, but hasn't been able to get quite there. Now, um, George Coons and every athletic director since has wanted their own guy as head coach. Apart from Andy Geiger, but Andy Geiger screwed us up in his own his own special way. Um, George Coons, his way of sabotaging the basketball program, at least his eventual way, was that his his plan that and this is what ended up giving him the ouster, is that he wanted to hire a coach so badly, and the coach that he wanted to hire, by the way, is named Tony Benford. He was an assistant at Marquette. He is now, I believe, he's still the head coach at North Texas. So um, how are they? How is the Mean Green doing in basketball? Is all I gotta say. But George George Coons was going to fire every single one of Rob Jeter's assistants, all three actual assistants, as well as the director of basketball ops and the video coordinator. So he was gonna fire all five of those guys and allow Jeter to only hire back one person, and the rest of the staff would be left empty. If you don't, if you're not familiar with how staffs are built. JUCOs and two-year community colleges usually have at least two assistants. So for a Division I program to have one assistant, the basketball coach is obviously having a real problem. So the idea that Coons had, 
because Rob Jeter's contract had been, you know, so so bad for the department was that he would he would put Rob in an imp- in an impossible situation and that Rob would quit. The problem with that is that Rob Jeter is if you if you don't know if you know nothing about Rob Jeter's personal relationships with people except one thing, know that Rob Jeter is basically a son to Bo Ryan. Bo coached Rob at Platteville and Rob had been with him all the way until he took our job in 05. So we're talking about 18 years where Rob was at this guy's side, almost about 16 of 18 years. One year he played pro overseas. One year he was on Marquette's staff under Mike Dean. But so, so the idea is that if, if, if Koontz had, had done this and gotten Rob to quit, our university would have been blackballed by the coaches, the coaching, the, the national association of basketball coaches. Um, you know, Bo Ryan is relative, you know, pretty close, had become pretty close with Tom Izzo. And these are two of the most loved guys in college basketball. And if Tom Izzo and Bo Ryan are walking around telling coaches, you better not take that UWM job. That would have just killed our program. You know, Coons might've gotten Tony Benford, but, Coons would have just totally wrecked our entire program for the long term. So <clears throat> what ended up happening is, excuse me one second. <clears throat> Donors went to Char- Carlos Santiago and told him, if you do this, or if you let Coons do this, we're all going to pull our money, but you're also going to screw over the entire program. Ended up Coons got, got pushed out. After him, there was an interim who, who you know, an interim, you, you really can't do anything. Uh, his name was Dave Gilbert. He ran the, he runs the UWM Foundation, the fundraising arm. Very nice guy. Knows basketball, knows athletics. But as an interim, you can't really, you can't really uh, command the support and command the respect from the university because you're only going to be there for, you know, on an interim basis. <laughs> so after Rick Costello was hi- hired, that guy spent probably 90% of his time figuring out what other sport Milwaukee could add so that men's basketball wasn't, you know, doing the brunt of everything. Um, if you don't, if you know much about, if you don't know much about the college basketball world, when you're a mid-major, the absolute best thing that you can have going for you is to not have a football program, because a you know a football program can be an albatross on an athletic department, especially a basketball team. There are schools that succeed despite this. Um, San Diego State, um, North Dakota, Northern Iowa. These are schools with successful football programs that succeed in basketball as well. It's very difficult to do. And you have to have an extremely large budget to make it happen. So the problem with that is, you know, that Costello was totally not paying attention to the basketball team. He ended up screwing up with soccer on something really stupid, and he ended up leaving. (laughs) So at, when he was done, when he got, when he was forced to resign, Mike Lovell was our chancellor. Carlos Santiago had taken over the Hispanic college fund 
and Mike Lovell, who was the uh, dean of the engineering school, stepped in on an interim basis to run, you know, the university. So this is a guy who had spent his entire career in academia and had only just become an interim chancellor just a couple months before. So in the beginning of 2011, he's kind of like, I don't know what I'm doing. I need help here. So he goes to the only person that he knows will help him in hiring an athletic director, and that would be John LeCrone. Now, yeah, that guy. <laughs> so John LeCrone, in quote-unquote helping the university, decides to convince us to bring his old buddy from the ACC when LeCrone was on staff at the ACC and Andy Geiger was AD at Maryland, bring, bring over my old buddy Andy Geiger He'll make sure that the athletic department, you know, gets gets up and going and then gets you a permanent replacement. <clears throat> so <laughs> Andy Geiger makes the decision to move back to the Kalachi Center. And many people said he made this decision without ever actually even stepping into the arena in the Kalachi Center. Uh, I don't know if that's I think you've mentioned. I think you've mentioned that a couple of uh, on a couple of occasions. Yeah, that's still a head scratcher, man. There's there's another part that I can't really talk about um, that that Andy Geiger screwed up uh, royally, but uh, that that would definitely be the one. Uh, UWM lost uh, over half of its season ticket holder base in the for the 2012-13 season. So you're going the, – these kids were going in front of – you know, they were playing in front of 35 to 4,500 people for the low games and over 5,000 for the bigger games leading up to 2011-12. And then after Geiger came in, they, they were starting to play in front of really about – honestly, about 1,000 to maybe 2,000 at the Klatchy Center on campus. Which is if you if you don't if you've never been to the Klatchy Center, uh, picture your high school gym, and that's that's what the Klatchy Center is. The Klatchy Center is basically just a little bit bigger version of a high school gym. Uh, it is not. It was built in the 70s as an intramural facility. It was not built for intercollegiate athletics. I believe we went over this on the episode we had Carrick on when we were talking about the history of the arena yes. and, the, and Callahan. Yes, we were. And by the and by the way, I don't not to make you feel bad, but uh, my high school gym was probably bigger than the Klatchke Center. Yeah, the the Klatchke Center was not fit for a Division One program, but Andy Geiger, in his infinite wisdom, said that we are a bleacher school, a school of at the time twenty nine is a pullout bleacher school. He straight up said that on uh, I believe it was twelve. You're an athletic director, by the way, at the time. That's that's pretty impressive that you would kind of set that low of bar and you're the athletic director. Yeah. Andy Geiger Andy Geiger's plan, um, he he spent seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars out of this uh, athletics arena fee, which has since been renamed the athletics facilities fee, to make it so that it could be spent on the basketball practice facility specifically. Um, Andy Geiger's plan included spending about three quarters of a million, uh, bringing the Klatchy Center not just up to code, but to you know give it a fresh coat of paint. Um, they added like a wall version of the Hall of Fame, which is very small, and it has a flat screen TV that has never been on. In, if, if if I remember correctly, 
uh, it was just a really, really stupid way to spend money. Um, they got new banners for all the teams and the championship. I mean, it was just it, the Kalachi Center year was just so awful in so many ways. Uh, after the decision was made to go to the Kalachi Center, Cody Wickman was the only recruit that committed to our program. Um, Cody Wickman, as 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 I I love Cody Wickman. Um, I am I am going to be really happy to see him play 25 minutes a game next year. Uh, but when we're when he was a high school player, he was only we were his only full scholarship offer, if I remember correctly. Um, Green Bay had offered him, and he's from the Green Bay area. Green Bay had offered him a preferred walk-on spot, you know, where you where you're, uh, you you pay for your own way in most years. So, obviously, you know, our recruiting fell off considerably, and it wasn't until you know after, uh, it wasn't until after Amanda Braun had come in that the you know a, a, until late. 2013 year when UWM started pulling in, you know, the recruits that the arena was affording us, you know, Jordan Aaron, when he committed to play for UWM had, had picked us over Creighton. He picked us over Maryland and I'm trying to remember the third, the four, the third other school was, it was a, it was like an A10 school, but um, you know, Jordan Aaron had picked us because of, you know, what we, what we, you know, the, the arena, and how the team traveled. He had been, you know, told, you know, how the university, well, the athletic, the basketball team, when they go on the road trips, if it's not a short bus trip, like if it's not, you know, a Butler, Valpo, Green Bay, or UIC game, you know, if it's not that close, we take a chartered flight and they stay at a really nice hotel. It's a way for the athletic department and the basketball program to mitigate the fact that our practice situation is the, is probably one of the is probably the worst in division one if not one of the five or six worst in division one <clears throat> so jordan aaron and other recruits that you know i committed for that 2012-13 year showed up thinking that they were going to be playing in the house that kareem and big and oscar robertson built or made famous and rather instead they were playing inside this just 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 high school gym which was as big as the one he played in the high school in the bronx so um, Amanda Braun had stepped in after a while and like every athletic director before her, she was sabotaging the basketball program. Um, the, the red shirts and transfers, the, one of the first things she did, they were not able to go on road trips. So uh, there was a time uh, we played in the 2013-14 season, her first year, uh, we played at UMKC, and the Prowl Twins are red shirts that year. And uh, I I was at the Sports Authority, uh, where, where my where my good friend Paul Spacuzzo was working, and the game's going on because we're listening to the game on the radio. It wasn't on, or uh, we had the game on the TV in the store, and in come the Prowl Twins, and we're like, "What's going on? Why aren't you guys in?" Why aren't you guys in Kansas City? And they're like, "Well, we're, we're the we're not allowed to go on road trips." And I was like, "Why would Jeter not let you go on road trips?" He's like, uh, "And one of them, obviously, I can't remember which because they're identical. One of them says, oh, no, that's uh, it's the athletic director um, won't make won't let redshirts and transfers go. In fact, Trinson White was sitting, you know, in Milwaukee too. He just wasn't with them. So 
when you we and we did the math and you those players lost up to something like 40 percent of their practices during their freshman season so how are you supposed to get better as a player if your basket if you are not allowed to get on the court and play with you know practice with your team during you know the season so this was one of a lot of different moves where Amanda Braun made these decisions that cost the basketball team a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here, a little bit there. Um, eventually, they were busing to most places. Um, in fact, when the Horizon League tournament came up, I believe we were the only the, – after Youngstown State, I think we were the only school that actually flew – or excuse me, that didn't fly – to Detroit for the Horizon League tournament. Um, I think Cleveland State probably took a bus just because you guys are only like three hours away. Yeah, but, that's only three hours away. That's a, that's a short trip for us. I why I said Jordan Aaron committed here to play for Milwaukee. He liked the arena. He liked the co- number one of the coaching staff. But number two, he liked the arena, which Geiger had screwed up. Sure. Fixed. And he also liked the travel. He, you know, he, he liked the idea of staying in really nice hotels and eating nice food and doing these things. It's a way for us to you know, mitigate the lack of a practice facility or even a, pra- even a practice gym. Well, the, you know, we could no longer these things. So recruiting has kind of fallen off because it's easy for other schools to say, well, you're not even traveling in style like they used to. And your practice, you're, you're going to get kicked out of practice by the dodgeball team. Because the, at the Kalachi Center, the arena floor is where the basketball team practices. And they are kicked off floor by whatever intramural program is supposed to follow them. Uh, and, and, and I've been to plenty of, I mean, I've been to a couple hundred practices in my, in my day since I came to UWM. And there would be days where they would have a two-hour practice and with half an hour or 45 minutes to go, you'd have some, you know, you'd have some facilities guy who works for the university coming in and saying, you guys got to clear the floor now because the, you know, the intramural whatever teams games are supposed to start and we have to set up. Mm. Does this, does this sound like a tenable situation to you? Um, no, it doesn't. And well, this is the other question. And this goes back to what we talked about uh, last episode in the question that I had posed of the, do you trust your current AD to make the right decision as it relates? Okay. Yeah. Because you, you are of the, you are of the opinion that. That sentence, uh, do you trust your current AD? And I will say no. <laughs> well, you you were you were of the opinion that you wanted the chancellor uh, Mark Moan to actually make the decision, but it does not sound like it is his decision that's going to be made. It's going to be Amanda Broad's decision, and so therefore now you have that problem. And uh, with yeah. the other situation, then is you now have two, uh, not just Milwaukee, of course, you have two vacancies. Within the Horizon yes. League right now. Yeah. Um, you have Milwaukee. You have Wright State. You have two situations where, regardless of the uh, – you have two coaches that won 20 games this year, and it wasn't enough. 
And so if you are applying to these positions, you have to have in the back of your head, the other guy won 20 games last season and it wasn't enough. So there must be something else going on, be it personality wise, be it something wise that's going to make me think twice about wanting to, you know, apply for this particular position. And that may be realistically a deterrent for potentially some of the top tier choices that these ADs have to fill this position. And then you run into a situation where your first choice isn't going to be the person who gets the job. And I, I know I mentioned this a couple of nights ago on Twitter, where this is the Horizon League. You have just as much a chance to get a Link Darner as your head coach as you do a Mike Garland. Right. And that's the situation that these schools have set them up, themselves up for. Whether they did it intentionally or not remains to be seen. Well, I, 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 will, I will say this. Uh, I, obviously, I can't speak to Wright State's opening. Um, uh, as far as ours, uh, the coaches who have approached me uh, or the representatives of coaches who have approached me in the last week or in the last, what was it, four days to uh, to kind of see, like, kind of get their feeling of the landscape on campus Um you know, before they formally apply for the basketball coaching job. Um, I think Amanda's going to have a pretty solid base to choose from anyways. So I actually think the chances of Amanda Braun finding a good coach are pretty high. Um, okay. I think that her hire in women's soccer was maybe a good hire. It wasn't the right hire because she passed on the assistant from Northwestern who was an alum mm-hmm. and, built our program into craziness, but obviously we don't need to talk about women's soccer. It would when men's basketball, I know at least three, I, I, I was see. hold on. Let me get my list. I've spoken to 16 assistants at division one schools and a couple outside of division one of those 16, four of them no, no, two, two of them are, are high majors that are going to be part of the job. Um, there are a couple people who have approached me as representatives of other coaches who would be applying for the job. And just getting a lay of the, lay of the landscape, um, I haven't, uh, I, I have laid out, you know, pretty much everything that's out there um, that's out in, you know, in public, talk to them. Um, I do have a preference as to who I want to be the next basketball coach at this school. Uh, I will not share that. Um, I've, I'm, I've said on the message board and on Twitter uh, that I do not want to influence Amanda Braun in any way, shape or form uh, to go one way or the other on the next basketball coach. And mm, I, my preference has representatives for that person have, um, spoken to me, um, but I, as as I said to them, uh, and as I said to them, and I'm saying to you, I'm not, you know, going to publicly support of course this. Not. I think everything Amanda Braun has done in the last couple of weeks 
the best word to describe all of it is petty. Uh, she has the way she has handled the Jeter firing, the way she handled the the. Uh, At the same time, you could say the same thing about the Donlin firing too, because you're talking about a guy who everybody knew he got fired, and then Wright State finally got around to, to sending out and announcing it three days later. All and the, then the AD is turning around and blocking people on Twitter, which is just the most ridiculous thing on the planet, by the way. I mean, okay. I don't think that I don't think that these athletic directors are trying to sabotage things for real. Uh, I think what they just really want is to hire their own basketball coaches. Um, uh, Donlin, to be sure, Donlin was hired by Bob Grant. Um, mm-hmm. But Donlin was also the assistant of a team that was bringing back a bunch of good players uh, that Brad Brownell had, um, you know, had left behind and he was a very popular, successful coach. So I don't know if, I think Bob Grant's hands might have been tied by some donors to hire Donlin in the first place, but everything I know is the same as what everybody knows in public. I don't, you know, I, I don't know why he did it. Um, all we know is that Dakich and Biancardi are telling everybody that it was personal. Uh, I'm sure Biancardi is is tight with a bunch of donors at that school, so I'm sure that oh, sure. I'm sure that he 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 is a much more reputable source than than most. Um, all I know is what's public and what what it sounds like it was petty. And you know, Amanda Braun's decisions they they, they reek of petty. Whether or not she actually did it, um, I know. I know what else is coming in the next couple weeks. Uh, I know some of it. I don't know all of it. Uh, I know that. I know that if Amanda Braun wants to hire an athletic director, or excuse me, wants to hire the next basketball coach, um, she may want to expedite that process because I'm not sure that once this next Gary D'Amato article comes out, um, I, uh, Gary D'Amato is the secondary beat writer for our basketball team. When I say secondary, really the, the end of season beat writer, Todd Rosiak is our mm-hmm. prime beat writer. He goes to Arizona for spring training. Cause he's the number two Brewers guy. Um, sure. Gary D'Amato is us to, at the end of the season. And one of the things with Gary D'Amato is that um, he has said on one Oh five, seven FM that his story in the Milwaukee journal Sentinel from Thursday after Thursday evening that was published on Friday uh, was really just an opening salvo because the firing happened that he's been working on a much bigger story that will be coming out. I do know some of the things that will be in that story. Uh, I don't know all of them. Um, I do know that, that Amanda Braun's status as athletic director, uh, if it's not in doubt right now, it should be in doubt after this next piece comes out. Um I, I only know a few. Th- Here's the other question that beyond that, and it sounds like that is really not a great situation regardless. And I'm sure we'll be talking about that later, you know, in future episodes, but from a conference standpoint, when you look at both of the situations that have transpired and add that to the fact that you have a Valparaiso team that got, that did not get into the NCAA tournament and now is playing pissed off in, in the NIT. And we'll probably – we'll talk about that uh, a little bit more in depth next episode because – next uh, next week because they're still playing and they're still playing angry. Um, but you take that situation – you take the situation where you're already having a problem with 
with the strength of the conference. And then you turn around and then you have two of your uh, arguably or not arguably even top coaches being dismissed and they're going to be replaced. And that would create, whether it does or not, it creates a real question mark for those two teams next year. Yeah. Why, what, from a conference standpoint, where is the cause for concern from a conference level? Well, I think I, what, that is an excellent question. I think what I think what's going on here is that we have somewhat of a Butler effect, and that Butler effect being that a lot of these programs felt left behind: donors, fans, season ticket holders, players, coaches, administrators, uh, you know, chancellors and presidents. All these people have felt kind of left behind, and the pressure to succeed is much higher because nobody wants to be left behind in a next round or, you know, maybe because Butler's gone, you know, there's this, there's this void that we see needs, you know, needs to be filled at the top of the conference and everybody wants to be that, you know, that, that team and everybody all of a sudden has shorter leashes on their coaching staffs, but these athletic directors have failed the conference in such a huge way because let's be 100% clear here. That horizon league tournament was supported by every athletic director outside of UIC and Valparaiso. That Interesting. Uh, I, the way I want to mention that before we get any further, uh, I, I don't remember if I mentioned this before, but Gary waters on his weekly radio show had mentioned only Valparaiso had voted against it. He didn't say anything about UIC. Well, UIC voted against it. So I can tell you that you're Gary probably just misspoke. It's not a, it's not. Probably. Obviously they, they, you know, they, they approved it. So, but regardless, go on. My, my, my point is that had we stuck with the previous format, Valpo would have been playing that semifinal against green Bay on Saturday night in Valparaiso, Indiana. That was an overtake game. It stands to reason that had that been a home game for Valpo, they would have won, or at least, you know, obviously, they, they would have had a much higher chance of winning. Then they would have gone into the championship game hosting, having a much higher chance of winning. And the point, I'm, the reason I bring this up is that Green Bay just got smoked in the NCAA tournament by Texas A&M. And yes, we got, we finally got around to sorry, sorry, Green Bay fans. We did finally get around to talking about it. <laughs> My point is, is that Green Bay won a tournament that was was really the Valpo players did not get to sleep in their own beds, and they did have the eight days off, which may have actually hurt them. I mean, it, it's an easy argument to make considering it also happened to Oakland. Um, but they, they weren't in their own beds and they weren't, you know, they, 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 they felt like everything was against them. So they, and they lost and had Valpo been the horizon leagues representative in the NCAA tournament, Valparaiso would have been what they would have been a higher seed. Yes, they would have have been a better team. Look at how they have waxed their first two opponents in the NIT. Including Florida State. Yeah, Florida State, which was a middling ACC team. And they made them look like they were nothing. 
pedestrian. They made them look like they were Northern Kentucky, which no, no offense, Northern Kentucky, but you were a pretty bad basketball team this year, despite all of the, you know, all of the hoopla and everything. So this is, this is my point. The form, the previous format existed to get the best possible team in the NCAA tournament to win games. And if, and when the team that's seated fourth wins, usually that team's going to be a low seed. Green Bay ended up being a 14 seed when everybody thought they were going to be a 15, not because Green Bay was was so, was worthy of the 14 or well they were worthy of 14. Not because Green Bay was so much better, but because so many low major one seeds were losing in their conference tournaments that yeah. they, boo- they buoyed Green Bay up to the 14 line, in fact almost to the 13 line. So what I'm saying is that we Number the Horizon League athletic directors screwed the conference there. Number one, number two, the Horizon League athletic directors screwed the conference by supporting and pushing for that Northern Kentucky addition to the conference over Youngstown or over overcutting Youngstown State. And we will save, and I will not say another word because everybody listening <laughs> already knows what I'm going to say. But the point is this, Valparaiso had eight, count them, eight RPI anchor games in conference alone. Eight. Because of a 10, when when four of the 10 teams are that piss poor awful, you're going to drop your RPI considerably. And thank God Valpo had gotten, you know, had gotten Green Bay or you know, instead of somebody, you know, instead of the you know the teams that we in Green Bay had beaten on Saturday or on uh, on Saturday, because Valpo's RPI would have gone down even further <laughs> if it was Cleveland State or um, or Northern Kentucky. The, the, yeah. What's going on here is that the Horizon League has well the- itself too big. And it has screwed over its men's basketball. So the athletic directors who feel pressure to win want to be in the NCAA tournament, but they have all but assured that there will only be one horizon league team in the NCAA tournament for, for forever. So they have, they have in essence screwed themselves. And that's why we are stuck where we are. That is why these teams are, to where they are and for billy donlin i'm sorry if you're a right state fan listening and you supported the firing of billy donlin but that is the dumbest move i've ever seen in my life this guy was this guy can flat out coach the reason you won 11 games last year is because billy donlin was starting the water boy halfway through the season the reason that your team didn't have a great RPI this season was because half of the team was injured. We talk about how Valpo had a couple injuries, and that's why they lost the Ball State game because uh, one of the Walkers didn't – I think it was Tavon Walker didn't play, and David Scarra only played three minutes. Look at Wright State. In their non-conference season, Wright State barely fielded a team. 
by the time they started the conference season with our game here in Milwaukee, they were starting their like 11th guy of the season where everybody else was starting at most their seventh or, or eighth. Wright State was, was decimated by injuries in the non-conference season. So they were losing several games that they should have won. I'm not saying they should have beaten Xavier or George Mason or is it, is it Cincinnati that also smoked it? They, they got smoked yeah. by like – yeah. Wright State got smoked by the three or four teams. I'm not saying they would have beat those teams. They would have been closer, but they would have won a, a bunch of those games that they only lost by five points or less. You know, they bought, lost a bunch of games by six or five or six points or less. They would have won a lot of those games, and their RPI wouldn't have suffered as much. And this all comes back to the fact that Billy Donlin can coach, and he was damn close to having a really good team and very and, and sure. won for being in the NCAA tournament. And if Bob Graham thinks that that guy should be fired from his job, get the net, Bob Grant. You can go ahead and block my podcast. Just don't listen to it and click unsubscribe. This is this is the problem with you, is that this this I believe one hundred percent for that of Dakich and Biancardi saying that this was personal. Because if this was a basketball decision, you have not the slightest idea what you are doing as an athletic director in terms of men's basketball. People were getting tired because they hadn't been in the uh, NCAA tournament under Billy Donlin. But Wright State, I'm sorry, you've only been to the NCAA tournament once in your entire Division One history. Mm-hmm. Or and I think they, the... Did they go in like 92? Or I, I think they might have gone in like 92. No. No, they have only been... No, they've only been to one. They've only been to one. They, yeah, I thought I, I erroneously thought that at one point in time myself, but no, they have only been to one NCAA tournament. And you're gonna That's fire it. them. I mean, it's 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 not a knock. It's I'm not knocking right state. I'm just saying you guys are not the program. That you're you openly think. you're doing whatever, and you're not alone. Everybody, I can't. It seems to me that. You are not alone. You, you. It seems to me that those of you know, those rights, a lot of right state fans agree with you, openly wondering why, um, why this is happening now. I mean, if it was going to happen, it should have happened last year, when they were when they were when they had a losing uh, record. A second, I was right. It wasn't ninety two. It was ninety three. NCAA okay, ninety three. I I, I, okay. I knew they had from a long time ago i thought they had only been honestly i thought they only i regardless anyway um you're but again you're if you were gonna get if you're gonna get rid of the guy you should have gotten rid of the guy last year when they had a down year not this year when they won 20 games and they were in the championship game that is, i mean it's it, uh, you know what i don't know I, I don't know all i know is that now you have again you bring out a question mark for two teams, for two teams that had, were twenty game winners this year, now you have a next year. You have a question mark how good they're going to be next year. On top of the the group of schools that you currently had, the four teams that you had that this year that were not good. Now keep yeah. in mind, I, I suspect that at least one or two of those teams are going to do better next year. Uh, we know which one probably won't, but 
regardless, even if the, if you like, for example, even if, you know, even if Northern Kentucky is, does better and Cleveland state gets out of their, um, then you, but then you turn around and you have Wright state and Milwaukee who's starting with new coaches. And there's, you know, there, there's, there's a chance that those two teams could go South. And we haven't even talked about Detroit and we don't know what's going on with them. We don't know what's going on with, um, you know, you have Green Bay. You don't know how they're going to do with Link Darner's new – his recruits because you're getting – because you have Love, you have Faust who are going to be graduating. Yes. You have those question marks. And yeah. so you have so many questions coming in, and you have a conference that is more interested in legacy building than actually doing better on the court. And that is a problem. That is a major problem, and then when and then we get to all act shocked and surprised when the Valparaiso decides one year, uh, one day to move on to another conference. We get to all act all shocked and surprised that that's going to happen. So, that, I mean, you're setting it up that way. You're going to set it up at this point in time. You have set it up where, and we talked about this in previous episodes, where the Horizon League has become. Summit League 2.0, or I'm sorry, we'll call it MidCon 2.0 because I don't want to, you know, because Summit League is their own different thing. But you set it up where that's going to, you've already set it up that way where it's going to be the case. And now this year you have it where the Horizon League was in fact Summit League 2.0 because based on the RPI, they were worse than the Summit League. And right. now you've said it, and then the next year you have so much uncertainty with so much uncertainty that you don't even guarantee that you're going to have a better, better, uh, better situation next year. And it, it's a concern. It should be a concern for each and every fan of this league. Beyond that, I don't know what to tell you, man. Um, Team in the RPI, Valparaiso at 49. Four teams in the 100 to 200 range, Green Bay 112, Milwaukee 173. Between them, Oakland was also close, and then Wright State. Um, mm-hmm. Detroit was 204. And then in the last 25 of the top of the 200s, Youngstown at 275, followed by Cleveland State, and then 296, Northern Kentucky. UIC pulled up the rear at 346. Out of you how, are, many, uh, how many teams? 351, 353? I can't remember how many are in Divisions 1 now. Teams, I believe, were in the RPI. <sighs> this conference. And, that's, and that brings up another question. Steve McLean year two. Yeah, you got you have all these new freshmen. Are they going to do better next year than they did this year? Again, so many different questions, and we'll probably talk about this a lot more in you know near the close in our closing episode. But I just wanted to get that one off of my chest, and I think uh, honestly, I think we'll be talking about this again um, probably next episode. So. Um, <laughs> It's, it's unfortunate because the Horizon League should be really good. Um, what the Horizon League should be um, is, a, is a conference that I, everybody should want to be a part of. Um, you get these, you get these Midwesterns, all very close. 
that your your mm-hmm. farthest no more that you're less than you're eight hours or less from just about everybody um you know green bay aside you are you're close enough and they're all in nice cities uh yeah green bay and valparaiso and youngstown notwithstanding you're in detroit you're in dayton you're in milwaukee you're in chicago you're in cincinnati yeah so you're in these you're in these nice cities um we all have we all have these cities that are that we that we get a lot of our students from which means we yeah. get a lot of our alumni there valparaiso is something t- yeah so so we and, these, these 10 schools um they they there's good things that this conference should be and we have and this yet one, here we are and we have this one thorn in our side and it's really digging in and things are not the greatest right now so i'm just i'm at this point where i i hate it because i want i i like playing these games but so. I'm a fan of one of any one of these teams supposed to say this is the best we can do Youngstown's probably be happy going to a different conference, so they should go. All right. Well, all right. We'll we'll such a difficult not to cut you off, but I'm kind of (laughs) gun. We'll talk about this a lot more later on, but uh, we're gonna go ahead and wrap this up Um, next week. uh, Next week we'll probably talk more about Valpo's uh, NIT run and then this crazy thing that's going out with Vegas and Oakland. I. I, we didn't even get to that, but it's. I figured we we're going to get to that next week. So, um, uh, you know, four uh, life's done it. Show at some point. We know. We know you. You know. We know you listen, Coach. So yes. maybe on the wrap up show after the so. Vegas sixteen, maybe maybe we'll get among other things. So the, all right. Well, that's a whole. All right. Thing. So. Yeah, I figured it would be. So, all right. So let's get a rapid dust for us. Um, you know, if you catch us on fourlights.fm uh, and everywhere good podcasts are found, we'll catch you next week. Thanks, everybody.